Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. If this is your first week with us, we are going through the 16 books of a letter called 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Um, In week one, we talked about the benefit of having earthly wisdom or godly wisdom over earthly knowledge. And in week two, the benefit of walking with the spirit versus walking with the flesh. In week three, it was probably my favorite one so far. We talked about carnal Christianity and how as Christians, we shouldn't get so caught up in devices and divisions, but instead focus on eternity. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about that we should have a life of stewardship versus ownership because everything that we have has been freely given to us from the Lord. So it's not ours to own, but ours to steward. And the reason we decided to go through the book of Corinthians is because the city of Corinth was very similar to San Francisco. It was a big city. It was an influential city. It was a port city. There was a lot of money coming in and out. And it was a wicked city with a little bit of a bad rap. It was the place that you went to to indulge in any form of wicked sexual behavior that you could think of. And people knew Corinth for that, and they talked about Corinth for that. And I wonder if they feel, or felt, because they're dead, but uh, (laughs) felt how I feel when people talk about San Francisco. How many of you guys have siblings in this room? Let me see, raise some hands. Okay, all right. Your sibling could be a hot mess, but if you are not family, don't talk about my sister, you might catch these hands. The only people that are allowed to talk badly about my sister is me. And I feel that same way about San Francisco. It's like, if you don't live here, don't hate outside the club, all right? If you're not here, if you don't live here, if you don't pay taxes here, then I don't wanna hear your mouth. Yes, we have a drug and homeless crisis, but you don't live here, so don't talk about it. Only I can talk badly about San Francisco because I live here. And I wonder if the people in Corinth felt the same way. Don't talk about our city unless you live there. But people did talk about it. So Paul, like us, believed it was a perfect place to plant a church. Because I don't know about you, but we believe that light actually shines best in the darkness. We do not think that San Francisco is too far gone or is too wicked. We believe that the Lord can move here, that he can change hearts here. And we see that truth every single week. When people in this room decide to follow Jesus, when people get baptized, when they become group leaders, when they join the team, we see San Francisco doing what is is possible, coming to find life in Christ. So I got week five. And I don't know if any of you guys have read 1 Corinthians 5, but I was convinced when Tim, sorry, Pastor Tim, told me that I was preaching on 1 Corinthians 5, that he hated me. I was like, okay, he's hired me, but I think he hates me. Because 1 Corinthians 5 is the worst. And I was not excited about this sermon at all when I first got it. And I'm glad I got it as far in advance as I did, because I took about two weeks learning to like it and about two weeks deciding on whether or not, maybe I should just fake a cold on July 2nd. Uh, And just, oops, uh, David has to preach the sermon. Uh, But I didn't because 
that wouldn't be the right thing to do. And I lead your children, so I have to set an example. So the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 5 are basically an episode of Jerry Springer. Not sure about you, but my comfort show when I came home from school in like elementary school was to watch Jerry Springer or Maury. (laughs) It was either people doing stuff for beads or you are not the father. Those were like my favorite shows to come home and watch. Anybody else? No, you guys had more wholesome upbringing than I did. But the reason why I say it is an episode of Jerry Springer is because there's a man in the church who is sleeping with his stepmom. Yeah, big yikes, gross. Anytime someone tells me the Bible is boring, I'm like, that's the best way to tell me you haven't read it because (laughs) this man is sleeping with his stepmom and the whole church knows and they're cool with it. They're like, sounds good. And I wonder at all if this is kind of because they wanted to seem like they were tolerant and accepting and we love everybody. Even though we know this is a sin, it's not that big of a deal, but we'll get into that later. So that is the first five verses. We're, we, I think we're all good here. We agree that you shouldn't sleep with your stepmom. And if you're in this room and you are sleeping with your stepmother, stop. Because <laughs> that is gross. Now we're gonna get into scripture. And we are going to go into verses six through 13. And there is a lot here. Embrace yourself. You're going to see why I was like, yeah, not my favorite chapter. All right, it reads, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this is a sin, like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Could he have made the list any longer? Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. If you're taking notes today, the title of today's sermon is Only God Can Judge Me, dot, 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 and other lies. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray right now that hearts um, would be willing and ready to receive from you today, Lord. I know how I felt coming up to this chapter, and yet you have shown me the golden and opened my heart and softened my heart towards it. So I pray right now that if people come up against a wall because of the content, that that wall would be conviction and not condemnation, that they would hear your heart, which is to bring them closer to you and not to push them away. Lord, would you speak through me? Would it let you be your words um, and not my own, not my own preparation, but your Holy Spirit moving through me because only you bring life and truth and wholeness. It's in your name we pray, amen. 
All right. I'm going to give a little short synopsis of this big chunk before we jump into the first chunk that I want to talk about. Like I said, verses one through five, Jerry Springer episode. So Paul writes the church of Corinth about this situation, and then he brings up a bunch of stuff about yeast and festivals and blood, which we'll get into fun times. Then he brings it back to the situation and tells us believers how we are supposed to deal with a situation like this. So we're going to go back into verses six through eight. I'm going to read them again. And that's the first part that we are going to touch on. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this is a sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. In both uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, yeast or leaven was used to describe sin. And in the Exodus story, if you're not familiar with it, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and God was going to set them free. And in that story, we read a little chunk of scripture about yeast, which is why Paul was bringing this example to the New Testament believers because they would have been familiar with the Exodus story. So we're gonna get into a little history and a little science and it's gonna be a blast, I promise. So first part, the history. In the Exodus, the people of Israel had to leave quickly because at this moment, Pharaoh said, yeah, the people can go, but he was going to change his mind quickly. So Jesus, or God said, you know, they're the same, but God told them to uh, not bake any bread with yeast in it because they would not have time for the dough to rise. So they baked bread uh, that was small and thin instead. So you can think of like a cracker or tortilla, some type of flat bread. So they did this, and it's actually a custom to this day for Jewish people to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Every year in the spring, what they'll do is they'll go through their home and rid it of yeast. Sometimes one of the parents will hide a little thing of yeast somewhere, and if you find it, you actually get a gift. And fun fact, which I found out from my studying today, that's where we get spring cleaning from because this festival is in spring and the same way they search their home for yeast and get rid of it, we search our home for things that we never use. And then if you're like me, it sits in your trunk for three months before you finally get rid of it. Why is it so hard to get to the Goodwill? It is not far and it has parking, but I just cannot seem to get there in less than three months. But I do it eventually, I do it eventually. So there's a biblical historical reasoning for this story. But there's also a scientific use, a practical use. Uh, They were both in our last service, so I'm not sure if they are. Are Misty or Gloria in this service? All right, do I have any other bread makers? Anybody who bakes bread? All right. Oh, I didn't know you baked bread. Next time I come over for dinner, you should make me some. I love bread. And I baked it. Um, but not good. So, and I think that's because I didn't know what I'm about to tell you guys. So you're all going to go home and be phenomenal bakers. So you need yeast in bread to make it rise. Yeast is a living fungi. I did not know that 
and it kind of grossed me out a little bit. But when you get it to bake it, it's usually dry. So you add water to it, which wakes it up. And then it needs something to feed on with the sugar. So as it's awoken and it starts feeding, it creates carbon dioxide bubbles, which causes the bread to rise. And you only need a tiny amount for a cup of dough. You need like a half a teaspoon to three fourths of a teaspoon. I probably got those measurements off when I baked it myself. And that's what caused the bread to rise. And then you bake it and ta-da, you got bread. So there was a practical reason and a historical reason why Paul would use this analogy of yeast to explain ridding this church of sin. Because just like a small amount of yeast changes the whole dough, a small amount of sin in our life or in our church can change everything. When I was in high school, I had a best friend and we went to Forever 21. Do people still shop there? No, it's in the mall still, so somehow they're still hanging on. Well, I shopped in Forever 21 because everything was like less than $10 and lasted like a week. So I went to Forever 21 with my best friend and I was like, man, those pair of sunglasses are so cute, but I ain't got no money, so I'm not gonna buy them. We walk out to the car and she pulls them off her head and was like, here you go. I was like, you thief. I couldn't believe it. And so now all of a sudden, when I looked at her, I was like, you, you probably stole your whole outfit. You probably stole your kids and your spouse. Like you are a thief straight to jail. She stole one tiny little pair of sunglasses that were probably like $1.99, but my entire perception of her changed. In my mind, she was a walking, talking thief. And this is what sin does in our lives. It can penetrate all different areas of our life and it can also change people's entire uh, perception of us. I think some of you, if we were to see this man in church knowing that he was living an unrepentant, sinful life, sleeping with his stepmom, we would probably think, is this guy even really a believer? we would probably start judging other things about his life. And side note here, Paul still thinks he's a believer. So this is why I think we should be slow to, or actually never, judge another believer's salvation. Because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what's going on behind in the heart. So I think instead of always judging if someone's saved or not as a believer, we should just continually bring them back to the gospel and let the Lord do his work on that end. But that's neither here nor there. So this is the moment where I summon my inner Timothy Irving Biddle, that is our pastor's government name, if you were wondering, and I ask you, where has yeast been added into your life? Where are those moments where you know that you are walking out purposefully in sin? Where have you said, I know it's a sin, but I love them? Where have you said, well, it's not that big of a deal because I don't do it that often. Where do you know better? Because in Leviticus 18 and 20, it was common knowledge that God forbid sleeping with your dad's wife. And I know you might be thinking, why do they have to lay that out? (laughs) There was a lot of incest going on at this time. Again, the Bible is interesting. So the Lord had to literally lay out like, who you should and should not sleep with, including like, hey, you probably shouldn't sleep with your parents' spouses, obviously. So this man, being in the New Testament, he knew 
that what he was doing was sinful. The church knew what he was doing was sinful, but he chose to ignore it. Where are you choosing to ignore scripture? Choosing to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I don't ask this question and in this moment want people to feel condemned because there was an opportunity for this man to come to a situation where he was not kicked out of the church, but instead restored. If you are like this man and you are a Christian struggling with sin in your life, or maybe you're an unbeliever who is struggling with sin in your life, either way, the solution is the same. It's the Passover lamb. Back during my dissertation on yeast that I shared a moment ago, um, I shared about the story of the Exodus. And one of the reasons that the Israelites had to leave so quickly was there was actually going to be the death of every male firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. But God made a way for anybody who followed his instructions to be spared from that death. So this is what he told the Israelites to do. And even some Egyptians that did it as well. He, you know, is not a respecter of persons. He's like, if you listen to me, then you're gonna be spared. So what he told them to do was to find a spotless lamb or goat. They were going to sacrifice it and rub its blood on the side of the door frames and on the top of the door. And that blood would act as a sparing them from the death that would inevitably come. That night, the angel of death came by and anybody who had the blood on the door frame was passed by and the lives inside were spared. So Paul knows again, this is a story that these people that are listening know. And he uses it to explain the sacrifice of Jesus. As New Testament believers, our Passover lamb is the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are spared from inevitable death and eternal separation from Christ because Jesus died for our sins. And when we believe that his blood was spared for us, it's like us putting blood on the door frame of our home and death passing over us because we have said yes to Jesus. So just like this man had this invitation, you have the same one as well. It does not matter if you are already a believer and you've already come to the feet of Jesus before. The invitation, as long as you're alive, is to always come back. You can always come again to the altar in your secret place time, and you can say, Lord, search me for yeast that has been in my life. Lord, I know that there is a sin that you have been convicting me of, but I have chose to ignore it. Will you help me? There's one of my favorite scriptures, says that Jesus, God gives us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. And I love that because we do literally nothing. All we do to come to the feet of Jesus and he gives us the power and the desire to do what is right. If this man had just come to the feet of Jesus again, instead of being okay with his sin, he could have been restored from that. You have that opportunity right now in this room at our prayer time later right now when you go home to again lay the yeast in your life at the feet of Jesus and receive his forgiveness so that you can be like verses seven and eight that says we can be what we actually are, dough made without yeast.
so we can celebrate what the Passover lamb has done for us. So now we have to get into the fun part of this chunk of scripture, verses nine through 13. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to lead the world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as scriptures say, you must remove the evil person among you. This was the chunk of scripture that was really difficult for me when I got assigned to this chapter. I was like, I don't know if I have a theology around when I'm supposed to like kick someone out of the church. Unless it's because they're harmful, that's easy, right? If someone is doing something to hurt people, it's easy to say, okay, well, you know, you're a predator here, you need to leave. But when do we kick out people that are just sinning, that are unrepentant? Well, don't worry. I don't have the answer, so we're not even gonna talk about that today. All I'm gonna say is, because I don't have the answer, I don't know what sin for how long, how unrepentant they have to be, I don't know. So my hope is, by sharing this sermon today, none of you get there, so we don't have to deal with that. Thank you. So, what we see in verse nine is Paul says that he had wrote to people the, this church before. So that leads us to believe there actually might have been another letter that we don't have. And I think it's maybe because he wasn't very clear. Although Paul isn't always very clear, which is why so many people argue with any of the things that Paul wrote. Um, But he had said to them to remove these people that are indulging in certain sins. And it looks like the Corinthian church thought that meant, okay, we need to avoid the world. But Paul said, no, I was talking about other believers that are walking out in sin. And I think this is why the Corinthians then became those people that some of us know and some of us are. Those people that are terrified of the world getting on them. So they won't go to certain stores or do certain things. They won't listen or think of or look at anything that's at all secular. Like the people that I've had arguments with about that don't like Christian hip hop because it's hip hop. I'm like, but this man loves the Lord, is talking about the Lord, is a good beat demonic? Like what am I missing here? But that's another scripture and another sermon for another day. No, Paul was saying to them that they needed to remove sin from their church. And That's the reason why I decided to title this scripture, only God can judge me, dot, 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 other lies. Because that's a cute little saying that we share quite often in the church. But I want us to look at Matthew verses seven, three through five as we touch on this subject. And don't worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, 
First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Before we touch on how we deal with another believer's sin, what we need to focus on is a sin in our own life. In this scripture, which also gets used to say that we aren't supposed to judge one another, Jesus doesn't say that. He says we need to do some self-examination before we walk around pointing out the sin in everybody else's life. Because I don't know about you, some of the most unloving and judgmental and mean Christians I've ever met has some stuff going on behind the scenes that they probably should have been worried about before they were worried about everybody else's business. And there's a reason why he tells us to self-examine before we examine someone else. When you have walked through a season of God stripping away sin in your life, you know how important it is, so you're serious about it. And you're serious about it in the lives of other believers as well. But you also know how loving and gracious and kind he was with you when he dealt with you removing the sin in your life. So hopefully you extend that same grace to others when you help them with the sin in their life. (laughs) Removing the speck in a friend's eye should look like washing your hands. And then you gently grab their face and you look around and make sure you get it at a right angle so you can see the speck clearly. And then you would carefully, cautiously, gently remove that speck from their eye. That is what it looks like to be given permission as believers, as part of the church, to judge one another. It is not give us permission to compare sin, to decide I'm better than you, and to be judgmental. No, it should come from a place of careful, of grace, of love, when we help another believer walk out uh, from a life of sin. And you may be asking yourself, why do we even care though? Why should I care? about the speck in another believer's eye? Why did Paul get so upset about this man sleeping with his uh, stepmom? Because how we live our life as Christians matter. How are we going to be the light of San Francisco if we look just like San Francisco? If we look just like San Francisco, what exactly are we telling them the gospel message is for? Our lives as Christians and in the church should look different. I know for myself, one of the ways that I have struggled is with my mouth. There's a reason why I communicate. I talk a lot. And because of that, I used to cuss. I shared about that in a sermon before, but the Lord worked on my heart and my mouth and I barely ever cuss now. But I also am one of those people who can be really rude and quick to speak. And I might laugh about it and joke about how I talk too much, but in all honesty, it's really grieved me that I have said things to people I love that I can't take back. That in times when I should have just shut my mouth, I spoke and I've had to repair and restore relationships because of that. So the people that are in my life know that. And I think the way that they have dealt with me is how we should deal with other believers. And we should mimic it like Jesus tells us to deal with an offense in Matthew 18. We go to our brother first. When I've shared with my friends that 
how I speak is an issue. And most often the person who gets the brunt of my foul mouth is my husband. And he tends to be the person that I can be rude to or say something I'm annoyed with in front of other people, which is not cute. (laughs) You should not be doing that with your spouse. If you're one of those people, save that for when you get home. But my mouth, it's it's just too quick sometimes. So I've told my friends that this is something I'm struggling with. And specifically, my friend Kara has actually really helped me in this area. And this is what she'll do and has done. If she hears me say something to Dylan that she knows I should say in private or at home or maybe not even at all, she will pull me aside when time allows. She will tell me what she heard me say. She will remind me that it's something I'm working on and she will encourage me to go make it right with him. And every time she has done this, she has been correct. And I have been thankful for her friendship and my husband has been thankful for her friendship. (laughs) And why does she do this? Why is it successful every time she does? Because she actually does life with me. When you know another believer, That is when you should be someone speaking into the sin in their life. Because she knows me, she knows what I'm working on. She knows how to address something in me. She knows how to correct me. She knows how to encourage me to make right. And I know that she loves me. I know that she cares about me and wants to see me be a better person and a better wife. She's not worried about the speck in my eye so that she can belittle me or put me down or make me feel bad. I know it's because she wants to make me into the, man, the woman of God that I am and she can help the Holy Spirit do that. So that would be my first encouragement to those of you that maybe you, you know, tend on to be a little judgmental. Do, do you actually know the person? Do you know them? Do you know if they're already praying and fasting about that thing? Do you know if they're already seeking therapy about it? Because if you do, what you actually get to do instead of pointing fingers is you can come alongside them. You can help them. Imagine, imagine if the man in this story had a Kara. What if instead of the church allowing his sin, which resulted in him, them getting a sternly worded letter and him getting kicked out of the church, what if he had a friend that came alongside him and said, hey, 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 you know what scripture says about this situation. You know, you shouldn't be walking into that relationship. Come on, you're, you're better than that. Remember, you're a, you're a dough made without yeast. Remember that Jesus died for your sins. Come on, you're better than that and I'll help you. What do you need me to do? How do you need me to help hold you accountable? What if he had a Kara? I wouldn't even have to be reading a story about him getting kicked out of the church if he had one. And we get to do that. It's the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ is we get to come along and help each other be made into the men and women of God that God has called us to be. So yes, the worst case scenario happened to this man. He was kicked out of the church. But many theologians believe that's not where his story ends. In 2 Corinthians 2 verses five through eight, it reads this. I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt and hurt for all, hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. 
Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. He does not say his name, and we don't know for sure if this is the man from 1 Corinthians, but I tend to believe it is. Because I know God's heart, and I know his goal is always restoration. The reason for the Passover lamb and Jesus' death and resurrection was to restore us to right relationship with Christ. The reason that we self-examine and look for sin in our life is to restore us to the righteousness that was freely given to us. The reason that we help brothers and sisters in the church get rid of sin in their life is to restore them to God and to the church. If your goal in your judgment is not restoration, you're doing it wrong and you shouldn't do it at all. And the band comes up, there's one more group of people that I want to talk about that Paul did, and that is the world. He says it's not our responsibility to judge the world, that's God's job. And I think as the church, we get that a little twisted quite often. I know a lot more Christians that are really upset about a secular company acting secular, uh, instead of worrying about the unrepentant and habitual sin in their own lives. Or a lot of people that are willing to boycott this, that, and the third, but they're not there to help their friend walk out sin in their life. What are we doing? Why are we surprised when the world looks like darkness? That's literally what it is. So we're all upset about how they act and we tell everybody to change their behavior. So then we get behavior modification and they're still going to hell because God does not care if you're a good person or doing all the right things. What matters is a relationship with him. So our motivation with the world should always be the gospel. God set the standard. He said, because he so loved the world. That is our call. We are called to not be of the world, to not conform to the world, but we are called to love the world that we are in. We are called to share the gospel. Even when we talk about the judgment with other believers, it's not again supposed to be out of a place of hate or condemning, it's supposed to be out of love. All of this, when we read about being allowed to judge another believer, sure, great, but it should all be coming from a place of love. Our goal should always be restoration. So if you are an unbeliever that is not in the, that is in this room and, and you are thinking, well, maybe I don't wanna come to church because apparently that's going to give everybody free reign to judge me. <laughs> Not everybody, but in week three, Pastor Tim talked about the judgment seat. And there's two of them. The first judgment seat is the seat where we will stand before God one day and he will look in the Lamb's book of life and decide if your name is in it or not. And the way that your name is in that book is if you have believed that Jesus died and rose again and you have decided to make him the Lord of your life. And if you have not made that decision, at that seat of judgment, he will say to depart from me, I never knew you. And for believers, there's a second seat. And this is the seat then where everything that we did and all of our actions will be weighed and we will see what we did for God and what we did for ourselves. So you might not want 
to deal with judgment within the church, but you will stand before the judge one day. You are going to. And my hope is that at that seat, you have decided to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. That you have decided to rid yourself of yeast of death and sin and say yes to your Passover lamb. Because my hope is, then you get to the second seat. The second seat of judgment about how we lived our lives. And if we, the church, do the right thing, I think a lot of us are gonna have a lot less burnt up here because we've helped each other correct things in our lives because we've helped people say, hey, this is where you're living for the wrong things. This is where you should be living for the Lord. And at that seat, he's gonna look at San Francisco and be like, dang, y'all got a lot of stuff you're keeping with you in eternity because you guys were being the church. Non-believer in this room, this is not a scary thing to be a part of the church. It's a good thing. It's where we get to help each other be better in church. Those of you that have already said yes, I pray that you would decide to be better, that you would decide to not hate the world or hate one another or judge your sin to someone else's, but instead always remember to self-reflect and to help a believer walk out from sin in their life, not because you're better than them or you hate them, but because you wanna help them be that fresh batch of dough made without yeast. Because our goal is always restoration and our answer is always, always going to be the gospel. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.